It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. That's Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, right here on the Giants mobile app and Giants.com. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. Our buddy Dan Salomon will be joining us for our weekly spot in just a little bit. But first, I want to remind everybody that you can find Big Blue Kickoff Live and all of the Giants podcasts on the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank. Make sure you go to Giants.com slash podcast or go to your Giants mobile app, or of course your favorite podcast platforms to find all of the Giants Park podcast archives. And now we welcome on our guest, Mr. Meadow. We say hello once again to our Factor Fiction and Cover 3 cohort. That is the great Dan <laughs> Salamone. Salamone, we have uh, disconnected the styrofoam cups and strings, and we have a better connection this week. How are you? There we go. There's a... I sound clear? Yeah, you sound good. Yeah, that technology go. has been slightly improved. We're making progress. Slightly, slightly. Yes. All right, so let's start here, Dan. We had some big Giants news yesterday. We have press conferences. We have franchise tags. You name it, we had it. So I know you've uh, put some questions in the hopper for us, so let's let them fly. Yeah, uh, the NFL also made some news today. Uh, we've got the salary cap has now finally been set at $182.5 million, down about uh, $15 million from last year, and I think a lot of teams are going to have some tough decisions to make I'm in the days ahead. I was wondering how you guys think that affects the Giants' plan. Yeah, well, I think it makes it, Lance, really important to get Leonard Williams to a long-term deal because that, that cap number is high. He gets a 20% raise off of last year because he was uh, sat, he was put on the franchise tag last year, so he gets a 20% bump. And right now that takes up a significant amount of cap space for the Giants. So if they can figure out a way to get him on a long-term deal and lower that cap hit, then maybe you have a chance to bring back a Dalvin Tomlinson and add somebody else. But uh, I think it does provide some motivation to, to, to try to get him signed long-term before March 17th lands. And to me, that's the biggest takeaway in terms of where the cap lands. Yeah, it's very similar to what the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott. The fact that they were able to work out a long-term deal lowered his cap number by about $15 million in 2021. And what Dan was talking about, just to lay out the numbers, the cap went down $15.7 million. So we knew the floor was going to be 180. We didn't know what the ceiling was going to be. Well, the ceiling didn't go very high. It only went up to 182.5. And by the now, way, Lance, just, just to add this in, teams were anticipating before the year for it to be around 210. So in terms of long-term planning, it's actually almost $30 million less than what teams thought it would be. Well, because on average, the cap's gone up about $10 million each and every year over the last few seasons. If you go back, 2019, the cap was $188.2 million. It went to $198.2 million last season. So there was a $10 million jump between 19 and 20. Now you go down 15.7. And actually, I thought Dan Graziano of ESPN brought up an interesting point that he was reporting on social media this morning that the NFL didn't absorb all of its losses in factoring in the cap this season, which means there's other losses they still need to account for, perhaps, over the next two years. So even if there's an influx of TV money, that doesn't mean that the cap's going to skyrocket in 22 and 23. It could take another two years for it to get back to the level of what we're used to, where it jumps up about $10 million or so each year. 
to your point where it got to about a $30 million balloon. So, you know, this is not a one-year shot deal. This could be the next few years where it's not going to exponentially increase, which means the teams, going back to Dan's question, that save some cap space over the last few years, they're going to benefit immensely. For example, I believe the Indianapolis Colts have about $30 million that they're carrying over from 20 to 21. So when they see 182.5, they don't get too nervous because they say to themselves, well, we've got more of a bank that we could carry over. The Giants don't have that luxury, so that's more of a reason why priority number one has to be work out a long-term deal with Leonard Williams, get his cap number down, so this way you can apply some more flexibility to a Dalvin Tomlinson and even maybe some of the other free agents that obviously they want to retain. And just to point out the numbers, Dan tweeted, and I'll read the tweet, the NFLPA told its board of player reps this week that this year's cap would have dropped all the way to about $155 million if all COVID-related losses had been accounted for this year. And that's, by, by the way, why they negotiated that salary floor. So you wouldn't have that big of a drop in one year. So Dan then pointed out later that he doesn't expect the cap to continue to be this low, but the growth might just be a little bit slower as the rest of those losses get accounted for. And that's pretty much what I think everybody needs to anticipate across the board, the Giants included. Um, Yeah, and you guys hit on it um, a little bit talking about Dalton. Um, Curious to see what you guys think his interest around the league would be. I know he plays um, a position that doesn't get much glory. He doesn't have a lot of stats, but as um, Coach Judge was mentioning yesterday, he can't say enough good things about him. Yeah, and, you know, the way I look at this is is that it's not a great defensive tackle market in free agency. There's not a lot of guys available, and there's also not a lot of guys in the draft this year. It's not a great defensive tackle draft class. So I think Dalvin will be in demand. Uh, Talking to two or three different people that know how this works, Joel Corey, for example, who's joins us every year at the Combine. He joined me on the Giants Huddle podcast. That got posted up there this morning. If you guys want to know the ins and out of the free agent market and the cap, go listen to that. Again, Joe Corey, Giants Huddle podcast. Go subscribe. But, you know, he thinks that he's going to be in that Javon Hargrave, you know, 11 to $14 million type of range per year on a long-term deal. And I said, you know, Joel, some guys might fall through the cracks this year. You know, he goes, no, John, I I think he's going to be a guy that's at the top of the market. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at, Lance, based on the guys we've talked to and and, uh, the -the over-the-cap guest we had last week on last week's show told us the same thing, um, Scott Fitzgerald. So that, I mean, uh, Jason Fitzgerald, pardon me. So that's kind of how I view Dalvin. I think there will be demand for him around the league. Hargrave, just who you brought up as a means of comparison, who was with the Steelers for a number of years before he ultimately joined the Philadelphia Eagles, he had 14 and a half sacks before joining the Philadelphia Eagles. So he's a guy that's got a little bit more pressure that shows up in the box score. How many career sacks. sacks does Tomlinson have, like 10? Tomlinson, I believe, has about 10. I'd have to look that yep. up, mm-hmm. but I certainly don't think he's got 14 and a half. No, no, he does not that, have that. Uh, I agree. Hargrave has piled up. So there is at least somewhat of a noticeable difference. But remember, all of these teams are not naive. You know, they're studying the film. They're not just looking at the box score. I do think the Giants probably, you can argue, maybe value Tomlinson more than any other team. Why? Because they know him well, and they know what he's brought to the table. But you're looking at the draft class. You're also looking at free agency. And here's the other thing that's appealing about Dalvin Tomlinson, regardless of whether or not his sacks jump off the page. Durability. Dalvin Tomlinson has not missed one game since he was drafted in the second round of 2017. So that adds value. And then the other thing that adds value is 
once again, I think they're going to look at his age. He's coming off a rookie contract. He could very well be entering the true prime of his career at 27 years old, which he just turned. So both of those factors, Dalvin Tomlinson and his representatives are probably saying, hey, that's going to work well for us. The question is, how does the market play out for somebody that doesn't have overwhelming sacks? Most teams, if they're going to invest in a nose tackle or a defensive tackle, they want a guy that maybe can produce some more consistency in the sack department. That's the only thing that I could see maybe hurts Dalvin Tomlinson and maybe the Giants can gain an advantage. But if teams are not enamored by the draft class, and they don't really think there's a veteran who they can maybe sign to a one-year deal that can fill a void, that's where all of a sudden Dowland Tomlinson cashes in. And that's more of a reason why giving Leonard Williams a long-term deal, I think, can at least give you some more wiggle room to try to retain both of these guys. Yeah, unfortunately, Dan, I, I, again, based on what Joel Corey told me, and he usually has this market down pat, he basically nailed the Dak Prescott contract on a nose, what he thought it would end up being. He thinks he's going to be one of those guys that day one or two of free agency that'll probably go off the board relatively quickly. And I was thinking if he does come back, it's going to be quite an election for a defensive captain this coming year. Remember, <laughs> Logan, Ryan, Logan Ryan wasn't here yet either last year, so it's going to, it's going to be an interesting one if he comes back. I, I, I smell a June fact or fiction question from Dan Salomon. <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly. that's an early preview? Yeah, yeah it's an early preview of that By one. the way, Dalvin Tomlinson, eight sacks in his four seasons with the Giants. Thank you. Yeah, and I guess jumping to the other big uh, piece of news yesterday, we had Joe Judge announce his coaching staff, um, a couple of changes. Um, I thought we kind of knew um, more or less what moves would be made, but I thought he brought an interesting point when he was talking about, um, especially with the hiring of Jeremy Pruitt, is how much the college game has been trickling off as opposed to the other way around. I was wondering what you guys thought of that and how this new, all the coaching changes will affect um, this team in 2021. Yeah, it's a good question, Dan. The ones that interest me the most, and, and we've kind of talked about Sal here, and I had a chance to talk to Bruce Feldman. I was on the Giants podcast from last week, and he talked about how Sal was looked upon very highly by, by coaches around college football. So um, I think that's a good thing, um, that he was valued and other teams were looking uh, to, to grab a guy like that. So I think that's good. What I find interesting uh, about the announced coaching changes is, is is a couple things. One, Pat Flaherty coming back to give kind of that veteran um, assistance on the offensive line, but he also said he'll be assisting Patrick Graham and trying to give him ideas of what he's seeing from opposing offenses on tapes. I thought that was interesting. And then I thought, you know, Pruitt being somebody that's going to be kind of that, that roving defensive assistant, and then moving Freddie Kitchens into that role on offense. And he said Kitchens would kind of focus on the front a little bit more because that's where his background is. But he also will be assisting Jason Garrett and putting his game plans together and things like that. So I wonder if Pruitt can help Graham a little bit and if Kitchens can help Garrett a little bit as kind of that roving instructor. Last year it was Derek Dooley. Uh, he's moving into the tight end position where Freddie Kitchens was last year. But now Kitchens lands to me, and at least this is kind of the message I got from Judge yesterday, that he's going to be the guy... Uh, that's kind of going to be Garrett's right-hand man in running the offense. Well, all of these individuals that we're talking about, I mean, keep in mind, and I think this was a big theme when Joe Judge announced his staff last year, they all have versatility because they've been in a variety of different roles. For example, Dooley and Kitchens have both been coordinators and they've also been positional coaches. So that's why, to me, the transition of swapping them, because that's what essentially they've done. They've swapped roles is really interchangeable because you're not asking somebody to now jump into something that they haven't done before. And if anything, you're giving now 
Kitchens more flexibility to contribute, to your point, to other aspects of the offense and assist a guy like Jason Garrett. So I think, if anything, that's beneficial for everybody. And then Dooley, he had the perspective of seeing the big picture last year. Now he falls into a role of just focusing in on the tight end. So you sort of get a fresh set of eyes for Jason Garrett as well as Joe Judge. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Pruitt is another guy that has been a defensive coordinator. He's also been a positional coach. So here's an individual that will come in. To Dan's point, he's had experience primarily all across the collegiate landscape. He's been in Alabama. He's been at Florida State, Georgia, Tennessee. So he's been at some big-time programs. I think he'll give Patrick Graham a different eye, a different lens. And when they need assistance up front, Pruitt can add something there. If they need some help on the back end, it's sort of a roaming type of coach. And I'm wondering whether or not this is going to become a trend across other NFL coaching staffs as opposed to, you know, just have one guy focus on one aspect. You could have somebody to lean on that could weigh in on a variety of different things. Similar to your point, John, about Pat Flaherty, because he even pointed out, actually, guys, I don't know if you remember hearing this. Joe Judge said Flaherty, even though he's an offensive line coach, he wants him to maybe weigh in on the defensive side of the ball. And yep. he wants for the staff to lean on Pat Flaherty and say, hey, you know, when you were coaching offensive linemen or you're working on the offensive side of things, what did you look at from the defense and maybe give them the offensive feedback? So I think that's quite interesting. And, you know, the fact that you have a little bit more versatility on staff, I think that's a good thing. I don't think anybody should be pigeonholed to have to work in just one spot. Yeah, I'll throw two other nuggets out there, Dan, just, just to chew on here. And that's, A, you have another guy from the college, two guys from the college ranks in Sale and Pruitt. That can now give you more insight into these guys you might draft in a year where you don't have scouts on campus. They'll have more connections and guys that you can talk to. So I think, one, that's a good thing. I don't think you know you can underestimate that. And then the other thing that I think is, is interesting is that, and this is more anecdotal, I guess, than anything, you know, Joe Judge comes from a staff in New England, Dan, and you know this. That's the smallest assistant coaching staff in the league. They have very few coaches. Guys double up with their responsibilities. And... They, they even have, I don't even think they even had a defensive coordinator last year, right? I think Steve Belichick was kind of the D.C., but he was, I think his title was the secondary coach. And it's just funny to me that, that Judge has such a large and wide-ranging staff after coming from a program up in New England that had such, had, such, had such a small coaching staff, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, we even talked about that, I think, when Joe Judge was hired, about how small it was, and we were actually kind of surprised there were so many, but I guess that's when you're a first-year head coach. I think you need a lot of help and a lot of guys you can rely on in that aspect. Or maybe when he was in New England, he's like, damn, this is too much work for so few people. i got to hire more guys. <laughs> that could be it, too. Um, yeah, and lastly, uh, yesterday, as we know, that was the first time we've heard from anybody uh, for a couple months, and we kind of just had to uh, a lot of speculation. But anything you can read between the lines of, what maybe changed your minds or reinforced anything you were thinking of what the Giants are planning to do in free agency or the draft? Yes, actually. And Lance had a chance to give his takeaways yesterday. My biggest takeaway, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I kind of was, the amount of confidence that Dave Gettleman professed in the young offensive lineman that he has drafted here uh, was impressive, um, in my opinion. And... He was flat out asked, so, so, so you're good at Matt Parrott starting next year? And he basically said, yeah. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't want competition. He doesn't have to earn it. But to me, Lance, my biggest takeaway, I do not believe they're going to expend a high draft pick on an offensive lineman now after listening to Dave Gettleman yesterday. 
Um, I do not think they're going to spend money on an offensive lineman after hearing Dave Gettleman yesterday. He basically said, look, you got to put the young guys in there and let them play. I think they're going to put the young guys in there and let them play. And they know a lot more about these offensive linemen than we do. Um, we don't get to see them in practice every day. So for us, it might seem like a high-risk proposition. For them who see these guys in practice, maybe it's not for them. But after hearing Dave yesterday, and look, you go back, Dave Gettleman's pretty forthright in these press conferences. You go back, I mean, no one was surprised they picked an offensive lineman first last year. You know, Barkley three years ago. So for me, I, right now, my biggest takeaway was that I would be very surprised if, if they're sitting there in the first round and they take an offensive lineman. I, I just, I don't see it happening based on what Dave Gettleman said yesterday. Well, they also drafted three offensive linemen last year. So when you take into consideration Andrew Thomas, Matt Parrott, and then Shane Lemieux, you know, they put a lot of resources in that position. And I think that's a big reason why he spoke very highly of the young guys because they felt good about their picks last year. They did a lot of homework. And now it's more of the feeling, okay, we're taking the swimmies off, okay, and we're throwing them into the deep end and let's see how they can handle themselves. I, I think that, to me, was the biggest takeaway. And I did quote that exact line that you referenced, John, where he came out and he said, eventually you just got to let the young guys play, to paraphrase it. And I think that they're of the mindset, why should they keep these guys on the bench and just play the game of potential and upside? Let's put them out there and see what they could do. Now, does that mean that everything's going to be smooth sailing? No, but they feel as if they used high picks on at least two of them, especially Paert and Thomas, that they should get the bulk of the snaps last year. Now, is it possible they bring back some veteran free agents to push them a little bit? You need to swing tackle? Absolutely. But I'd be pretty surprised if they make a significant splash in that department, especially high in the draft as well. I'm with you there, John. Unless somebody falls to them that they had no anticipation and the value is just too good, I don't think they're going to go out of their way to say, hey, we need to bring in another young offensive lineman. They feel good about the youth movement. And they're expecting these guys to now improve and step up. And that's the key aspect, okay? You made the pick last year. You expect them to make a jump in year two, just like you expect Daniel Jones to do the same thing from year two to year three. I don't think the philosophy is any different in terms of this young nucleus. Now, one thing, Dan, that didn't change my mind, but it reinforces something we've been saying here for the past two months. For all the fans that have called up and said, we need to get rid of Evan Ingram, if you listen to Joe Judge yesterday... There's a better chance Evan Ingram gets a contract extension yeah. than they let him go. Joe Judge was as effusive in his praise for Evan Ingram as he has been for any player I've heard, Dan. Do you remember Joe Judge being that complimentary about, you know, he has been about some players, but I thought he went out of his way to really declare how much he loves Evan Ingram. Yeah, and that wasn't the first time either. He said that a lot throughout the year, too. About he, I think he used that phrase again, emptying the tank. He always says that about him. Yeah, so I think for fans that think there's going to be some type of change at tight end, I think you need to slow your roll a little bit because that, that simply ain't happening. Dan, how about you? Anything that jumped out for you from those press conferences yesterday that maybe either changed your mind or surprised you? Uh, not too much. I think just uh, there's a lot of non-news news sometimes when you get to these, uh, these previewing free agency and, and the draft and everything. I was more interested in uh, what he had to say about the coaching staff. I think that's a really interesting thing, especially – um, I think the college dynamic um, is the interesting part there because a lot of times you talk about the offense and circling up um, from the college to the pro game, but obviously you need defense um, to, to catch up with them, and that's how the NFL defenses are evolving too. And we saw last year Rashawn Spencer coming in, former Penn State coach, and seeing what the job that he did 
uh, with that defensive line. I think it's really interesting. Dan, good stuff, my friend. We'll catch up with you next week. Sounds good, guys. Appreciate you it. got it, Dan. Thanks, That's man. Dan Salamone, digital media content creator for Giants.com. You see his byline all over the place because he's the great Dan Salamone. <sighs> so, Lance, I listened to you and Paul yesterday. And by the way, before we get to that, let me just remind everybody that limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Uh, you just heard that ring. The phones are open, but now they are busy. So if you want to get in and talk with us, you certainly can get on the line and we can chat. Uh, we can get more into the press conferences too. I want to touch on... I forget who the caller was. Jason from somewhere, Staten Island, or Brooklyn yesterday. He kind of talked about expectations coming up for this year, which which I thought was interesting. And then, and then Len kind of had a similar call late in the show. And, you know, they said, oh, you're happy. Paul's the one with the high expectations. I mean, just, just to get it out there, Lance, and I think you agree with me, based on what this division did last year, I mean, the goal going into this year, and I think it's a realistic goal, is to go win the division. And I think that's a realistic goal based on the roster. And, you know, we've talked about the limitations in free agency, and sometimes it takes draft picks a long time to contribute. And this goes back to my point on the offensive line. This team's success this year is going to be all about the performance of Dave Gettleman's draft picks for the past three or four years. That's what this is going to be about. Those guys need to step in, the new ones, and, and help. The guys that have been picked are going to have to continue to improve and grow into their role and improve. That's where this is going to happen. And I think given he's heading into his fourth year, this is going to be his fourth draft, to expect you know, these group of players to go in there and try to make a playoff run I think is very fair. And I think you know, you're getting towards the end of this building process now where you know maybe you're not a Super Bowl contender, but there's no reason this team should not be able to, to be in there and compete for the division title, compete for a playoff spot, and go out there and, and try to win a playoff round. I think that's a, a very reasonable thing to, to talk about and consider as you head into the 2022 season. You look at the 2019 draft class, a guy like O'Shane Zimenez I think is critical. You want to see him return from injury. You look at the 2018 draft class, Lorenzo Carter, a big year for him. And then the guys that they brought in from the 2020 class. I mean, it's those three groups, to your point, and I picked out one from 18 and 19. But since this roster, for the most part, is relatively young, I don't think you know they have a lot of old men that they're throwing out here. Yes, there's veterans, but I think the group that they're leaning on, for the most part, is still adding the seasoning. So you want to see all of those players make significant strides. And if that gets done, then that will tell a lot about the outlook for this team. But I also bring this up constantly regardless of whether or not it's realistic to think you know the Giants could win the division going into the NFC East every year given there hasn't been a juggernaut in this division meaning there hasn't been one dominant team that has rolled off four or five straight division titles every team in this division I think has the mindset hey we have just as good of a shot as anybody else to compete and try to make the postseason because it really has been wide open. It's been very hard to maintain consistency and mainly because of the injury bug that I think has decimated this entire division. You finish strong and then all of a sudden you lose a group of personnel, you lose your quarterback, everybody was banged up last year. So that's more of a reason why things are wide open. But just to piggyback and expand off of the lack of urgency that perhaps a caller or two weighed in on, 
It's not the job of any NFL team, forget the Giants, John, to lay out exactly what they think this team is going to be due because I think that's stating the obvious. You find me, once again, a franchise that does not have the expectations of winning football games and making the playoffs. So whether they say that publicly or not, that doesn't mean that there's no urgency there. I don't understand the mindset of why teams need to flat out tell you exactly what they expect to happen yeah. in order for it to come to fruition. Because then, if they come out and they say, we expect to go 10-6, and six, we expect to win the division, we expect to win two playoff rounds, and then when it doesn't happen, all that does is it opens for more criticism to come the way. So why even bother to make those bold declarations to begin with? Hey, look, and Joe Judge talked about the team improving. Dave Gettleman talked about players developing. They both did. And look, just, just, just look at the line we're on here, right? You went from four wins up to six wins. So what's your next step? Getting around nine wins, right? With seven teams making the playoffs, there's a good chance nine wins will either have you in contention in the division or 10, or they'll have you in contention for that last wild card spot. So you know, player improvement and development will lead to wins. If these guys play better, the team should, in theory, win more games unless, you know, terrible injuries happen or the schedule ends up being really tough, whatever. You know, weird things can happen that, that we can't predict. But with improvement, will come an improvement in the record, too. That just comes naturally. And Lance, the last thing I'll point out, too, is it's all about Daniel Jones, right? And we need to know exactly what he is, how he's developing. All of us on this show, and, and we've talked about why, you can go back in the archives and find our big Daniel Jones breakdown show. It's in there. You can check that out. You know, the touchdown numbers weren't there and the, the gaudy yards, but that was more a product of his environment and what the Giants' offensive approach was. Then it was his individual performance. We all thought he actually improved in a lot of the specific metrics from his for rookie year to his second year, most specifically cutting down the turnovers and throwing the ball deep. He was a better deep ball thrower, and he cut down the turnovers a lot. So that, to me, were, were the two big pieces of progress that he had in his second year, the raw counting stats notwithstanding. And if Daniel Jones makes that big jump, the team's going to make a big jump. Guys. If your quarterback's good, you're going to have a chance to win a lot of games. That's the way the NFL works, and it's going to be no different for the Giants. Period. Well, and tied into that, I mean, it simply comes down to the touchdown production. I mean, that's where the team overall on offense has to make a significant jump. Okay, 27 total touchdowns in 2020, and the passing touchdowns were extremely limited. We're, we're talking about a team that overall, between Daniel Jones and Colt McCoy, 12 touchdowns through the air, okay? So, you know, those numbers have to dramatically improve. I don't care how good the defense played last year, John, and I don't care whether or not most people believe that the defense could pick up where it left off last season. Regardless of how much strides the defense made, if you're still hovering around those numbers on an offensive standpoint, you're not going to win a lot of football games. Bingo. Because in this league, you've got to be able to consistently score points. I mean, look at Tampa Bay and Kansas City. They didn't make the Super Bowl by coincidence. They made the Super Bowl because those teams knew how to consistently put points on the board. 100%. you got to score more points, and that's going to come with improved quarterback play, which can come if those offensive linemen we mentioned earlier play better and the Giants add some weapons at receiver. So just things to keep in mind here as we move forward. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021. As a Giant suite partner, limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants brand the debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC, let's go to the phones, Lance, and say hi to our first caller today. Caller, you're on the line. What is your name and where are you calling from? 
Hey, hello, uh, Joe and PA. Hey, Joe. Hey, uh, you were just talking, John. Uh, you don't think the Giants are going to take an offensive lineman. I I seen yesterday on ESPN they were showing the pro day of uh, uh, this Slater. Man, can that guy move? And they said he held his own against uh, Washington's uh, young there. And that even Jeremiah has him rated number one over at Sewell. So he must be pretty good. They said he could play anywhere in the line. Joe, I like Rashawn Slater a lot. If he's there, he's a serious consideration for me at 11. But based on the way Gettleman talked about the offensive line yesterday, it would just surprise me if he made that pick. Well, I I, I was just thinking if he made that pick, then for sure it would – be able to release our two veterans there, you know what I mean? Or well, here's the problem, trade. though, Joe. You have to make that decision. You, it's a reverse order, right? <laughs> you, you can't wait till the draft and then make moves because then the whole then it erases well, the purpose, right? Well, can't you do it after the draft even? No, you because you have to be under the cap on March 17th. Oh, Unless, of course, yet. they release other individuals to make up for that gap, which is possible, too. But you have to – free agency comes first, Joe, at the end of the day, before uh, okay. the draft. Draft well, is still just, about two uh, months away. Well, I was just saying, man, that this guy looked pretty good. He really did. Now, I don't think he played uh, last year, John, did he? No, he sat out. That's correct. Uh, so, uh, but I'm, I'm nothing on offensive linemen. What did they say? He ran the 40 and four uh, – 4.4? Yeah, no, no, it wasn't 4.4. Four. I, I'll have to look at his testing numbers. You don't really worry about the 40 for offensive <laughs> linemen. The most, and the thing that I think kind of gave people some comfort, and maybe some people some consternation, there were a lot of rumors that his arm length for an offensive lineman were going to come in under 33 inches and end up coming in at 33 exactly, which is still not ideal for an offensive tackle, Joe, but I think that's probably good enough given how well he played on tape for Northwestern. Well, I didn't see the, the Sewell. How, how's he, John? Did you see him? Well, o- Oregon hasn't had their pro day yet, so that, that's going to come down the road. I don't have the date in front of me. Um, he's, he's probably going to test off the charts, though. He is a bit of a physical marvel. Well, okay, well, I'm just saying, but you know what I mean? To have this offensive lineman, the Giants will really have to think, consider that he, if he's not number one, he's number two. And for sure, I think he could forget about our, with all these young guys, we'd have them for, uh, we could forget about it for 10 years. You know what I mean? Seriously. Um, that, that's all I, I was saying and thinking, you know, I, I wouldn't be upset, you know, if they have him rated up there and do it because even the second round we could get a receiver then or so. So that's all I wanted to say. So thank, thank you. you, Joe. Bye. And look, Joe, and I completely understand where you're coming from on that. I, I would understand it, and who knows what else is going to happen with the roster for the next, you know, 10 days before we get to the 17th or seven days before we get to the 17th, and that might change the formula a little bit. But at the same time, Lance, and Dave Gettleman made this point yesterday, and I'm not quite sure why there was – fight back on this when he said they have a young offensive line and then there was arguments that they really don't and I'm like what (laughs) you started basically two rookies last year and then a third guy who was a virtual rookie in Nick Gates I don't care if Lazarus is your other two offensive linemen you have a young offensive line okay I mean I, I didn't understand that 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 line of questioning but like that's the question I would ask then is do you want to build this line out, and again, I'm always in favor of drafting offensive linemen. I think you always need to restock the position. But then, boy, you had another rookie to a group, and then let's say Parrot steps in, and you're rolling out a group with four second-year or three second-year guys, or and then Gates, and then a rookie. 
That is a really, really young group. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on if they then would look at somebody as a swing tackle because you'd have to then make room for Slater playing on one of the edges. I mean, Paird could certainly be a swing tackle under those circumstances. And, I mean, I always believe, hey, the more the merrier. I don't think he could ever have enough of any given position. But remember, it's also looking at Slater versus some of the other skilled position players. Of course. And where those guys are on the board. So, you know, to the last caller's point, yes, Slater could be high on the Giants' board, but they are going to have to put him up against some of the wide receivers and the tight ends and the defensive edge rushers, and they're going to say, hey, is it too good to pass up on one of those guys at this point to then add more depth on the offensive line? That's the question you have to ask yourself, too, especially when you have a variety of guys that are very similar in value. If Slater is vastly ahead of everybody else on your board, then to me it's a no-brainer. But I find it hard to believe that when the Giants get ready to pick 11, assuming they stay there, that there's not going to be a few guys that are probably in the same ballpark. So if now, they're in the same ballpark, if, you then have to go through the pros and cons of the upside of how those other players can help at much bigger needs than just adding another offensive lineman. Now, if Penny Sewell falls, then there might be a situation where he's sitting there and he's kind of like way above everybody else. That I sure. could see being yeah. a possibility. But yeah, to your point, I agree. And look, that's when need comes into a factor, right? And roster construction strategy. You know, when you get guys that are close in, in grade, and then you decide, well, this guy plays a more valuable position. This is something that we think we need more long-term. That's when that other stuff kind of gets um, into the conversation. Let's go back to the phones. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, it's Rick and Tampa. Rick, I'm what's up, up, buddy? Early today. How you doing? Doing great. That's uh, good. Good. Hey, um, all right. Well, I just agree with that. Just I don't agree with the caller on that. I do agree with your le point you just made a second ago that the only lineman, if Sewell's available for some reason, then yes, jump on him. Other than that, it has to be offensive minded. You know, I'm, I, I know with the cap that the Giants are going to be strapped in a lot of ways, but I, first of all, uh, Saquon Barkley is going to be back, and we and and I have been very, and I think you guys have been very happy as well with the way the offensive line played last year. And Barkley has not been behind a decent off uh, offensive line at all since he's been here with the team. So for him to come back and to be, you know, if he's at his, at his you know, hundred percent, which he should be, that alone with an offensive line that can block is super exciting. So I, I really look forward to, to having him back at 100%. The Evan Ingram comment by, by Judge, I, I don't know what he's talking about there, but you know what, if we're, he's there with us and, and he can maybe catch the ball once or twice, it'll be okay. But offensive weapons... Well, Rick, remember, the coaches... Like, look, fans get hung up on the drops, and they happen in inopportune times. And I, and I understand it. I get it. It's frustrating as hell. Trust me, I'm with you. I'm sitting there and he drops that ball against Philly. I have my hands over my head and I'm groaning just like everybody else. I'm with you. I get it. But the coach is really, you know, in the trenches with this guy, you know, watching tape, seeing how he works at practice, seeing how he works in meetings, seeing what he's like in the locker room. You know, Joe Judge always says this about wide receivers, right? He goes, yeah, you know, you're going to catch, you know, six, seven balls a game, maybe you'll have eight targets a game. I'm more concerned what you're doing on – on the other 55 offensive plays. And I think with Ingram, it's the same type of deal where, you know, maybe some of that stuff that's not drops at the worst times that Judge loves about him, and he thinks he can fix that. And I think fans might not understand that approach, but I think that's how Judge looks at it. Okay. All right. Because I think that 
after the Giants select, and I don't know if it's going to be the decision between perhaps, if I hope it comes down to between a Waddle or a uh, Devontae Smith, and I would take Devontae Smith, but if we get that wide receiver that we need, it has to be the one pick that they have to get in either uh, uh, free agency or something that they'd have to sign. I believe it's just a defensive edge rusher, and that, and that would be it, because the secondary I loved last year. I thought we had a lot of young talent there, a lot of good pickups that we did last year, and uh, I think with the offense, with that wide receiver solidified, and Barkley back, you've got to throw Evan Ingram out there. And, you know, Daniel Jones, you know, everybody keeps saying that we have to expect him to live up to and become what, what we expect him to be, but I don't ever believe that Daniel Jones will be a superstar or anything like that i don't think he will be he's shown to me that he can be a serviceable good quarterback in the national football league and with the weapons that we have now and with the new receiver and the way defense played i would be happy with that being a good solid quarterback i don't think he'll ever be a superstar i just don't see him as that but to think he would be is ridiculous i don't think that would be the case but I think that would and get a defensive end, an edge rusher, that is what we will need after the offensive threat that we need to pick up. And then I think we'd be okay. What do you well, think remember, Zimenez and Carter are coming back. So I think a lot depends mm-hmm. on their health and how the team feels about with you put both of those guys back on the field where you're at, defensively speaking. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you were talking about Barkley returning. You also have to remember guys that are currently on the roster that didn't play last season – that helps you improve your roster without necessarily having to make any moves. Right, right. But those right. two guys right. also well, don't have a great track record of no, success. No, of course not, because they're still right. young. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that they fulfill the role of if you're just going out there and you need a pass rusher. And let's be honest, it's highly unlikely that the Giants are going to make a splash to get a proven pass rusher because those pass rushers demand money, then if anything, you're going to wind up going back to the draft. So if I had to choose between Lorenzo Connor and O'Shane Zimenez and banking on them, staying healthy, getting back on the field versus the unknown of the draft, I'd rather take my chances with Lorenzo Connor and O'Shane Zimenez because they at least know the system. Right, so for the second pick that the Giants, and I'll let you go after this, the second pick that the Giants take after they take the offensive I would love to see him get pissed. I keep saying that. Oh, I know. But if they're a wide receiver and um, their second pick, who's going to be there that you think could be an edge rusher or somebody worthwhile that they could pick? And I'll let you guys go. But always is a great show as usual. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate the comment. All right. Yep. Um, look, I think you could have a couple different possibilities there in the second round. One, I think there's a good chance it could be an offensive lineman there that, that you like. Again, now I'm not sure they'd go that direction. I would consider it. But I think that's something you think about. And look, there are a lot of edge rushers in this draft that are high-risk players that have some pretty high upside. And I think one of those edge rushers could be there at the top of the second round. Or who knows, Lance, maybe you double up on wide receiver if yeah, you like another receiver. Yeah, I was just going to actually like, say that. Why not? Or, or you do wide receiver tight end or reverse, too. Or, 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 or maybe you want a linebacker. Or maybe yeah. there's a cornerback. You know, the cornerback class is not great after those top four. Um, and, and Newsom. Again, it's pro day numbers, but he did run a, a sub four four forty yesterday, so he he's probably the fourth quarterback after you know Horn, Sertan, and Farley. I'm not sure there's going to be a great corner there, but look, there's going to be a really good player at the top of that second round. Period. There is. You just got to pick the right one, and somebody that you hope could come in and immediately make an impact. You look at last year's draft; they took McKinney with their second round pick, and he 
based on the projections, was the number one safety in the class. Unfortunately, of course, he got hurt at the tail end of training camp. But if you can walk away with somebody who maybe is ranked the best at their respective position, and you could do that again, that certainly would be a huge boost. Once again, and I know we say this every year, I never understand the fascination with some fans about targeting a specific position in a specific round. I just We constantly get the questions, oh, I hope they get a pass rusher in the second round. Well, just because you think they need a pass rusher doesn't mean that there's going to be great value from a pass rushing standpoint. So how about they just pick the best available player? You pick players, not positions. Yeah, simple as that. That would be my outlook, at least in terms of if I was looking at what they should target come the second yeah, round. Yeah, the, the idea that you should go pick like the uh, a C pass rusher over yeah. a B plus, you know, receiver is just silly. I mean, why would you do that? Nine seven three six six seven nineteen sixty. We have a caller on the line. We'll get to you in a second, but Lance, we should very briefly go through the players that did get tagged yesterday around the league because that does impact the Giants. Not a super long list. Dak Prescott did get the tag. That was a procedural thing, so he cannot get tagged a second time uh, further in or tagged another time further in his career. So that's why that got put on him. Uh, they are still going to come to terms in that long-term contract if it's not done already. Uh, otherwise, on offense, Taylor Moten got tagged by the Panthers. I was a little surprised by that, Lance, but he's a good player. I think it makes sense for them. I just didn't see it coming, but I do think he, that does make a lot of sense. The two wide receivers and only two that got franchised were Chris Godwin from the Bucks. Allen Robinson from the Bears, which means somewhere Kenny Galladay is doing his own little dance of joy because he's the top wide receiver on the market, and that dude's probably going to get paid. Two offensive linemen get tagged. We knew about Brandon Sheriff already. Cam Robinson was the guy that was just out of left field. Uh, maybe Charlie in Portland, Maine, was advising uh, <laughs> the Jaguars there for that because he loves him some Cam Robinson. Apparently, so do they. And then on defense, you had three safeties. And the reason safety folks get franchised a lot because their franchise tag number is very reasonable. So it doesn't take up a ton of cap space. Marcus Williams for the Saints. And now the Saints are going to have to do all sorts of salary cap gymnastics to get under the cap on the 17th. Justin Simmons from Denver. Marcus May from the Jets. And then, of course, the Giants did franchise Leonard Williams. Your take on those tags that came down yesterday, Lance? Well, the volume of tags wasn't as high as last season. There were 15 guys that were tagged overall in 2020, 14 franchise, one transition. And that's probably because of the cap again, right? Because teams don't have the money to, to, to put that money I into a cap. I think that's a very important factor with just nine total. I know Dak made it 10, but I don't consider Dak getting tagged if it was just simply a placeholder. So I'm really eliminating him from the mix. I do think cap was an issue, but I also thought maybe some teams or at least some players, I should say, would have been more open to being tagged this year because I think if you're their agent, you're saying, hey, you know what? Take the guaranteed money. The cap hopefully will slightly increase in the next few years, and then we could cash in on a long-term deal. Now, granted, there's risk. You get hurt, and maybe you don't get as many attractive offers. There's always risk involved. But I would think if you're tagged this year, I guess if I'm a player, I wouldn't be as upset because, once again, if there's not going to be a lot of long-term lucrative deals being handed out because of the uncertainty of the cap and the cap going down at least this year, maybe it's good news that you get tagged. So I was expecting maybe the volume to be slightly higher than nine total. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did a great job even before free agency started. You mentioned they tagged Chris Godwin. They also came to an agreement with Levante David. So you got two critical players that are locked up, and now their next target will be Shaq Barrett. As far as Cam Robinson is concerned, one of the things I think you got to consider, remember, Jacksonville's got a brand-new coaching staff, 
And when you have a new coaching staff, and a lot of those guys came from the college game, including Urban Meyer, because Cam Robinson was a second-round pick out of Alabama, they may have liked him a lot. And they may have spoken to the Jacksonville front office and said, hey, you know, it's worth holding on to this guy for another year. We think with a new coaching staff, a new voice, we could take this guy to the next level. So I guess I wasn't as startled, especially when you take into consideration whenever you have a new coaching staff and a new mindset, whatever happened with the previous regime, you really got to throw out the window. And I think Taylor Moden, same mindset, young guy who's been able to stay on the field. He's been healthy for the most part. Maybe new coaching staff now, because we're only talking about the second year for this Carolina coaching staff. Hey, we could continue to mold him. So whenever you have young players that are around that expiring rookie contract level, all it takes is sometimes a new mindset, new voice, and that we've seen in years past. It could all of a sudden change the trajectory of that respective player. If I were the box, I, I think I might have franchised Barrett, but I guess it's the second time for him. Would have so been he's the second straight year. More yeah, money. I guess yeah. that's probably why they wouldn't do that because I do think there's going to be action for him on the free agent market, and this is a really good edge class, Lance, and. These are the guys that are names that people all know. Shaq Barrett, Matt Judon, Leonard Floyd, Carl Lawson, Yannick Ngatwe, uh, Jadavian Clowney, Leonard Floyd, Hassan Reddick, Bud Dupree. I don't think all those guys are going to get big long-term deals. I wonder which one will fall through the cracks, and I wonder if it's going to be Bud Dupree because of that injury, where he's going to want to come back, prove he could do it again, coming off the ACL that he suffered, what, end of November, I think, for him with the it ACL? It was even later, I believe, yeah. It was late in the year, so yeah. who knows if he's going to be even back in time for the start of the year. But to me, if you want to, maybe that's a guy you can get, and, and, and Joe, Joe Corey kind of mentioned him as a possibility too. Again, check out that interview on the Giants Huddle Podcast, former NFL agent. He thought that might be a guy that you might be able to get on a one-year deal so he can show he's back off the injury and then hit free agency again in 2022. Well, that may also be a reason why Bud Dupree wants to stay in Pittsburgh, perhaps, because you go back to a defense that you're comfortable. You got T.J. Watt playing opposite yeah, you. Good point. You had a breakout year this past season. Maybe it makes sense if he is going to take the one-year deal, go back to where there's familiarity as opposed to jumping into a new situation where they put – Everything on your shoulders. Remember, we've talked about the Batman-Robin labels, pass rusher A versus pass rusher B. I like Dupree. I think he's a really good player. I think it took him a little while longer than most anticipated for him to truly you know, spread his wings and come into his own. But he does benefit from having a lot of favorable guys playing around him, whether it be Cam Hayward. You know, they have Highsmith, who they drafted last year, who's a young guy. I think it makes sense, using your logic, if he goes back to Pittsburgh, takes a one-year deal— gets the numbers back to where they were, proves that he could stay healthy, and then all of a sudden starts to cash in. I think that would make a lot of sense for a guy like Bud Dupree. I think that's a good point. The question is, can the Steelers wrangle enough well, cap space course, up to do it? Yeah, because, they don't boy, have a lot of yeah. flexibility. They do that's not. That's the problem. But you're right. If, if I'm Bud Dupree, why not go to the place where I was already having my career year to then try to cash in next offseason? You're right. I think that does make a lot of sense. 973-667-1960. Lance, let's go back to the phones and say hi to our next caller. You're on the air. What is your name and where are you calling from? Charlie from Portland, Maine. Hello. We bring up Cam Robinson, and he calls somehow. Stunning. He, he was already hey. on the line before I brought him up, Lance, so I, I, I can't even get blamed for that this time. Hey, look, you always want to keep a really good, young offensive lineman, who? especially when you're bringing in the number one pick, who is the quarterback, right? Trevor Lawrence. So, of course, you're going to keep him. So, anyway, uh, he, he is a good player, and I think you'll realize that, John, this year. But, anyway, 
that whole press conference made me sick. I got a headache listening to it. Why? And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because we're not winning next year. We're not going to win the year after. What is we're that? Wait, wait. What, what do you mean years. win? What do you mean win? I'm, I'm winning, like 10 wins in a playoff. What? In the playoffs. Wait, time out, time out, time out, time out. If they add a really big playmaker in the draft and Daniel Jones continues to improve and the defense is good again and the young offensive linemen get a little bit better, why can't this team win nine games next year? Because you're expecting we were 31st in the offensive line. I said line. if, if, Charlie. Yeah, okay, if. I'm saying even if you go up 10 spots, which is a pretty big move on, on being in the offensive line, even if you went to 21, you're still in the bottom half of the league in the offensive line. And you're dealing with, a, my opinion, is a mediocre quarterback. Not a good, not a great, mediocre. Well, Charlie, he if you think, the, really if you think the quarterback line. stinks, then, that, then that's a different conversation. But we're not operating under that same premise that you are. Yeah, but he could be a better quarterback if you have a really great offensive line. He needs that because he's not a quarterback that's going to put the team on his back and make all these plays. He's not that guy. He isn't. So that's why they need. So when Gettleman's saying, I'm happy to put Pert out there, I'm happy. For, for one thing, when is it the GM tells, tells the coach who's supposed to play and who isn't? He's not. I thought it was up to the coach. That's not what he didn't say. He was asked his opinion about the offensive line, and he said that there's young guys and that he would expect them to be ready to play. That's all that was said. He would have confidence in Pert to start. That's what he said. He didn't say Pert was going to start. He said he would have confidence in him if he was going to start. And the other thing is, if there was a salary cap for coaches, the Giants would be over it by $100 million. Who cares? How many coaches do they need? You've got like five guys over Garrett's shoulder for the offensive coordinator. I mean, I didn't hear his name mentioned once. So that tells me a lot. Well, nobody asked a question I, about him. It's not Gettle, It's not Judges and Gettleman's fault. Nobody asked about him. Well, no, he talked about Kitchens. He's going to be overseeing this. And That's he's because he changed that. jobs, you dolt. He has this was different a new- job. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Graham wasn't mentioned is- much. I didn't hear Patrick Graham's name brought up. Well, he was mentioned, but Garrett wasn't. What I'm trying to say is... If I if I'm I would want ten people over my shoulder. If this is my job, then leave me the hell alone and let me do my job. And if you're not going to do that, and you're going to have ten people overseeing Charlie, what I do. You realize somebody you realize somebody had the same job Kitchens had last year, right? It's not a new job. Him and Derek Dooley just switched jobs. Do you know who hired Derek Dooley to do that job? He was with Jason Garrett in Dallas. So Garrett okay, wanted yeah. somebody in that position. So there's no difference. It's just a different face. You think Garrett hired him? I, well, what I'm trying to say is he, there's too many people. There's too many coaches. You know, just like there's too many chefs in the kitchen. You need some line cooks. You need somebody to chop up the vegetables. You don't need 10,000 people. And the other thing, I mean, there's so many things. That I, I, and then Gettleman says he doesn't want to restructure contracts then how are you going to bring in good talent if you're not willing to do that? Or you let them walk, either one, you've got... And then the, there's no window. We How did the salary cap get so bad when we have a rookie contract on our quarterback? Where did all the money go? The, all the money went to dead money. The, the actually, actually the John... Dead money than any team since 2017. 
It's ridiculous. What are you talking we about? Thirty million. We should be thirty million over the salary cap, and we have no money. How is that possible? How, when we have a rookie quarterback on a on a, a really small contract? Charlie, time, time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Okay, go ahead. Time out. Where are, you, where are you getting your numbers from? About dead money? Who are all these guys that have dead money on the cap right now? Please, inform me. I don't me. know, but over the years, <laughs> because we've had Well, so yes, because you, money, because, the, because you know why? Because the Odo Beckham trade was a killer with that. That was the big number in terms of the dead money. JPP, we had some dead money, and we had some dead no, money. No, he was on the last any... year of his deal when they traded JPP. There wasn't a lot of dead money there. Do we have any dead money on Tate that we just let go? A couple million. That's it. It's not a lot. And are we going to have any dead money on Solder? Oh, are we I don't have I, any dead money well, on we have to see what, well, But you I, have to understand. Charles, you want me to try to tell you what's going to happen before they even make these deals? I don't know how they're going to negotiate these things. <laughs> well, Come look, on, man. If, hey, no, but listen. If you're going to – look, right now we're, we're, we need to get – our cap free, right, because of uh, Leonard Williams, unless we sign up to a long-term deal. But if we don't, even if we do, we need to get the cap down. So who are you going to let go? you got to let go of Zeitler. He's $14 million bucks. I mean, Solder, there's another six, ten million million. So, I mean, those two guys right there, it's going to give you some cap space. Right, but so Charlie, me, maybe, maybe you renegotiate the deal. And you bring the money down without actually letting them go. It There's doesn't a lot of sound different... like he wants to, that. That gentleman said he doesn't want uh, to do that. Charlie, we Charlie, we got to go. I, I'm not going in the same circle through every call. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. It's the same thing. The fascination with reading into a press conference is just so fun when it comes to sports. Everybody takes one sentence and one word and, and makes it sound as if. This is the end-all, be-all. First of all, Dave Gettleman also made it very clear he doesn't negotiate contracts in the public setting. So while he did say his philosophy was that he doesn't like the idea of kicking the can down the road, and that wasn't the first time he said that, that doesn't mean that they're anti-renegotiating contracts if they need to do it in order to gain some wiggle room. I mean, it wasn't as if absolutely not, we're not open to it. It was just from a philosophical standpoint, it's not one of the first things that they would throw out there. But you know, as far as Charlie's point, all of the veterans that we named, I mean, they take up some money. So when you ask, well, how is it that you have a rookie contract for a quarterback and you don't have a lot of wiggle room? Well, Nate Solder was signed to a lucrative contract. When you acquired Kevin Zeitler, he was on a deal. Leonard Williams was given the franchise tag. I mean, those three guys alone, before you know it, you can eat up a lot of cap space on three or four players if you round the league. So, you know, that's what has taken up a lot of assets. And just because you have a quarterback on a rookie deal doesn't mean all of a sudden that there's a wealth of money to go out there and spend with. How about James Bradbury and Blake Martinez? Bradbury and Martinez would be another guy. Sterling yeah, Shepard. On the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're already up to six or seven guys right there that you know are not rookie contracts that are making some decent money. Yeah, I mean, the guy that probably has the most dead money is, is DeAndre Baker. I'm looking at SpotTrack.com, tracks dead cap. There are two players that they list with over a million dollars of dead cap money on the cap this year. Tate and DeAndre Baker. That's it. That's it. So yeah, in the years past when they were cleaning stuff up, did they have to take some dead money? Yeah, absolutely. Do they have it now? No, they don't. They've moved past that. And I mean, remember, when golly. you have a court... Go, go ahead. No, yeah. I'm done. I'm, I'm just frustrated. That's it. 
Well, all I was going to say was when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, it's not just that you round out the rest of your team in free agency. The importance of the draft can't be overlooked here. When you look at Russell Wilson, when he was on the Seattle Seahawks and they were competing when he was still on his rookie deal, they did a really good job drafting players, especially in the secondary and the defense. And then, unfortunately, you had to sacrifice those guys because you can't pay everybody. But if you look at teams that had success with quarterbacks on rookie contracts, it wasn't that they just went on a spending spree on every other position. It also means that they made good on a lot of their draft picks. Even Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't as if they just threw money at the wall and that's how they rounded out their roster. They were able to benefit from the draft. So you can't just think, well, Daniel Jones is here on a rookie deal and for the years remaining that the Giants should then use all their reasons to go out and spend. No, you got to get these draft picks to continue to make improvement. That's what we were emphasizing earlier in the show. That can't be dismissed simply because you have the luxury of having a quarterback on a rookie deal. Right, and Jason Fitzgerald, again, he pointed out to us on that spot we did last week from over the cap that in the division, he thinks the Giants have the second-best cap situation after Washington, who has a ton of cap space, but that might disappear once you have to start signing all those defensive linemen that they drafted in the first round two extensions, right? So, look, there was some cleaning up in the early process. The Odo Beckham trade put a lot of dead money on the cap. No one's going to—there is no debate or argument about that. But for the most part, that has been cleaned up in the last year or so. We'll see what happens now in the next week as the Giants try to get you know under the cap by the league year. Who knows what's going to happen and, and how that might play out. But that's kind of where we sit right now. And you know, talking to Joe Corey on that huddle interview, Lance, he said that if he's an agent advising his player that this is the offseason where you tell that player, you know what, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, especially in what's going to be a really depressed market. So he thinks players will be much more willing to do restructures of some kind than in years past, simply because if they hit the free agent market, they might not make as much money as they would if they did restructure. So just something to keep in mind as, as people really get you know worried about how the Giants will get under this cap number. Well, the other thing that I think will be a trend is I think more players are also going to be willing to take short-term deals who are free agents. Sure. And they're not going to say, oh, I'm just going to hold out for that lucrative deal. You know what? Let me take the money take a one-year deal, prove that I can still play at a high level, and then cash in later on. Because then on the flip side, you get into a situation like Marcus Golden, right? Look at Marcus Golden. He was coming off a career year last year with the Giants. Unfortunately, the market just didn't pan out. And then he wound up returning to the Giants before ultimately they traded him to the Cardinals. I don't think a lot of players want to put themselves in that situation and just assume, oh, well, I'm coming off a really good statistical year. The money's going to be there, knowing that the cap went down $15.7 million. So I do think most players are going to be smart, and they're going to say, hey, maybe play the patient role here re-sign with my current team, take a one-year deal, and then as the cap goes up, then I'll really be able to gain the money that perhaps I missed out a year or two ago on. All right, let's go to the phones. Final call of the show, 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? You have to make this one kind of quick, but a couple minutes only. Yeah, Marty from Manahawk. Hey, Marty. What's up? Hey, I, I was just listening to the, the last caller. and uh, Sorry the about thing that. that I, I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of understand, you know, fathom in my mind is that I don't think Dave Gettleman is going to put out there to everybody what his plans are going to be when it comes to trying to re-sign people, uh, not to give any of the uh, agents a heads up on how he's going to handle things. And uh, my other comment was I thought uh, 
Mm-hmm. Kim Jones yesterday. I thought I thought I thought she was. Uh, I think she was a little off base yesterday with Gettleman. Uh, you know, I kind of got the impression that she kind of thought she knew a little more than he did. Uh, and I was a little surprised at that. Well, I, Marty, I just didn't understand the follow-up question. And I love Kim, Kim and I are friends. I just didn't un- quite understand that that follow-up question because if you're starting three rookies, I don't if I don't care who the other two guys are, you have a young offensive line. You know what I mean? Well, three out of that's five is does. the majority of your offensive line. So by right. default, those guys are young. <laughs> One guy alone doesn't necessarily shift it in the complete opposite direction. And that's why Paul and I discussed that yesterday because I was just a little taken back as what are we debating here? What are we going back and forth over? I think overall, if you assess the Giants' offensive line, a fair label is the group as a whole is young. Are there veterans? Yes, there's veterans. But even the veterans don't outweigh the young guys. So therefore, if you were to ask me, how would you classify the Giants' offensive line? And anybody said youth? I would say I think that's a fair classification. I don't think we need to rip that to shreds and peel back the layers. All right, Marty. Yeah, appreciate the call. Okay, guys, have a good one. You too, buddy. Appreciate it. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being with us on today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Again, you can find Big Blue Kickoff Live and all the Giants podcasts on the Giants Podcast Network presented by Investors Bank at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and all of your favorite podcast platforms. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmuck. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. And Lance, we begin our look at pro days. And tomorrow we will do a spot on Northwestern, who we talked about a little bit today with uh, Rashawn Slater and a couple other players as well as we start to ramp up here with our draft coverage. Yeah, and especially since we took a call earlier on Rashawn Slater, we'll get somebody else to provide uh, some few more details, Uh, especially, you know, just real quick, his bench press, I think, was probably the most impressive aspect of his pro day, more so than any other skill set that we had talked about earlier. So it'll be interesting to hear from somebody that can uh, at least provide some additional perspective on that front. Yeah, and then Friday we should have Dane Brugler from The Athletic to do a little generic draft with us as well. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmell. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow at noon for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay safe, everyone.